For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. This is your host, Matthias Wadner, uh, along with Will Lomas, and we're going to bring you some of the best uh, bits of information that have been coming out ever since the Titans started uh, training camp uh, last week. Um, there's been a lot of positive reports, uh, thankfully, hopefully, I, I mean, thankfully, not too many negative uh, reports, which is exactly what, you know, you want to hear. You want to hear the good stuff that's coming out. Uh, from the team and about the players. So uh, it's definitely something that, that Titans fans should be excited about uh, because there's a lot of good news out there. Um, so that's where we're going to discuss mostly on the podcast. But before we do that, um, I want to hit a little bit on some of the breaking news around the NFL. Today, uh, we found out that the Miami Dolphins uh, have gone find a 2023 first-round pick a 2024 third round pick and their president owner, uh, Stephen Ross, uh, is suspended until October 17, I think it was. Um, and he got fined about $1.5 million. All of this comes on the back of the NFL's investigation into Brian Flores's, um, you know, like he, he called them out basically. He, I, I believe it was a lawsuit. Um, because he had said that Stephen Ross kind of forced him into tanking um, in certain seasons. And there was also an investigation into the Dolphins tampering uh, with Tom Brady and, and Sean Payton. Um, surprisingly, the NFL kind of said that Stephen Ross didn't like force the team to tank, but they essentially admitted that he like 
kind of directed towards it. Like he gave some nods towards, you know, maybe we should probably tank. Um, they admitted that, but they, the Dolphins um, liable for that, which was interesting. They did fi- find them liable uh, for the Tom Brady and Sean Payton stuff, which I mean, the Tom Brady stuff was happening literally every season since um, since the end for of like three time. seasons. Yeah, right? it was crazy. Like, I, yeah, but go on. Sorry. No, no, yeah, I, I was about to finish up there, but yeah, I, I think it was 19 season, 20 season, and even the 21 season, the Dolphins were always in contact with him. They were clearly tampering, which you cannot do, uh, because he was under contract with both the Patriots and the and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and then the same thing happened with Sean Payton, where they wanted to bring him in, um, but they didn't get any sort of clearance from the new orleans saints which you know they still had him under contract so they clearly did not read the rule book on this um and they got fined uh pretty heavily it was a pretty harsh punishment i would say losing a first rounder although they always have first round picks but losing the first rounder and then a third rounder is pretty you know it, it does hurt their future a little bit there yeah, it's it's weird because somebody put out a list of the teams that um, had for, like multiple first round picks this year, and uh, the Dolphins had two, one theirs, and then the 49ers pick. And you know, I, I don't know if the 49ers are going to go, you know, deep in the playoffs or whatever. They have a tough division, and they're going to start a rookie quarterback. And th- there's bumps that come with that most times. I mean, he's not a rookie quarterback, I guess I should say, like a, a guy who's never started before in Trey Lance, but it kind of takes them out unless uh, they're just terrible this year. Like it kind of takes them out of being in the mix for one of those guys that, you know, the uh, CJ Strouds or the Bryce Youngs, or I mean, Will Levis, you know, if you're a big mayonnaise guy, like, you know, any of those guys seem like they have the, I don't even know if pedigree, but tools is probably the right word. They have the tools to potentially be a top five, sort of pick in this draft, which, you know, we didn't have last year. So it really, it takes them out of the mix for that. And it sort of like glues them to Tua for the long term, because, you know, for better or worse, you know, Tyreek Hill is yelling from the mountaintops that Tua is his favorite player ever. And he loves Tua and all this, you know, after eight games, is that still the same? I don't know. But at this point, like, I don't think they're going to have the, you know, ammunition to go up and get a quarterback if they want to. So that this is a pretty, uh, you know, a pretty big deal, even though, like, you know, we've talked about how first round picks, like if you're talking about trade number, whatever, like until they become players, they're just their value is all kind of meaningless. But they, this represents a real like loss of opportunity. Like they just won't have that opportunity this year. Um, having said that, like, you know, that, that, that's aggravating. Like the league has been over backwards to try to make it as legal as possible to tamper. And if you're not even going to like adhere to those small rules, then, you know, what are we doing? So uh, I'm kind of glad he got nailed on that. And I, I tweeted this today, but it's, it's funny how this, the whole Brian Flores lawsuit was, kind of hearsay until uh, Bill Belichick uh, got caught with that text message where he sent congratulations to Brian Flores 
uh, and it like then he was like, whoops, I meant to send that send that to Brian Dable or or what like whatever however that happened, and basically like that that series of events like that like smoking gun text message that a decision had already been made before like he he I, I don't remember the exact context but like that was something that was like accelerant on the fire and then that text message going public in this lawsuit basically was the first domino in what eventually led his division rival Miami Dolphins to lose a first and a third round pick so you know he's just he's a evil mastermind and there's no way he did that by accident like that you know i, I don't know if he could have predicted what was going to happen but th- that was not an accident to get everybody in trouble there um especially after they messed with tom brady so that's that's its own like little microcosm of the story that's not getting talked about a lot but i think is really funny the other thing is i don't understand finding millionaires or, or sorry billionaires or people in charge of billion dollar teams finding them a million dollars if you're really trying to do something find the organization and take it out of their cap space like that's how you make this hurt because it hurts the team and it is a public mark that says you know this is why you don't have enough cap space to sign this guy is because your owner you know was trying to tank and he was although i guess he wasn't really convicted quote unquote of that but the the gist of it is your owner screwed you over so if you've got a problem with it it's not our fault y'all don't have enough cap room take it up with that guy because he broke our rules so those all that those numbers always seem tacked on to me like um my understanding is that you can actually write those off as um I don't know if you can write them off as a donation or whatever, but since the NFL is a nonprofit and since all that money is supposedly goes to like charitable organizations, like I, I don't know how the tax break s- situation works there, but I think it's something really shady and weird. But uh, all that to say, you know, uh, the Dolphins broke the rules and they did it blatantly for, you know, half a decade. So, you know, the other shoe finally dropped and, it does suck for them because this was the first season in forever where they had some small amount of hope that they were going to go to the playoffs since Tannehill left. So, you know, it's got to be tough for them. But, you know, luckily Miami's a nice place to live. It is. I can confirm that as I live there. Um, I, I think the Dolphins are going to be pretty good this year, but I, I do agree that it does. It feels like they're tied to Tua now. You know, this actually hurts them a lot more than I guess initially um, I realized. Especially when you take into account the fact that they just haven't even attempted to find uh, competition or a successor to Tua, um, and now you don't have a first-round pick next year if Tua completely blows up this year, and Mike McDaniel can't make it work with him when they have Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, uh, Chase Edmonds, Mike Gesicki. I mean, that's a real indictment on two, and you're going to have to look for a quarterback, and I don't really know what their options are going to be. So, yeah, that does hurt them. Um, and I, I agree about the finding billionaires thing. It's just – it's it's ridiculous. It's like finding me, you know, $100, you know. It's the same type yeah. of uh, equivalent, and and I agree. I, I think it would make a lot of sense uh, to take it out of their cap space. I think that would have hurt them a lot more, especially now that they, you know, just paid Tyreek Hill this huge contract. Um, that would really put them up against the ropes. But, you know, the NFL doesn't really they don't care like the the fine for the 
for Stephen Ross is just something to make it seem uh, like like they care a little bit. They don't. Like I, I really don't think they do. So, yeah. And the other big news, obviously, uh, since the last time we recorded this podcast, um, this happened on Monday. Deshaun Watson uh, got quote unquote suspended six games. Just I, I don't I don't even know what to say about this. It just disgusting it, it honestly disgusting I, I think is the only word i could really come up with the fact that kelvin ridley gets a whole season for placing a parlay bet while he was sitting at home meanwhile deshaun watson who has i i, I can't even count the number of uh, of civil suits that have been brought up against him uh, with a clear pattern of you know mistreating masseuses mistreating women and he gets six games. I mean, there, there's still the possibility that the NFL uh, appeals this and maybe gets a more harsh punishment. I don't exactly know what the specific process for that is, but I saw that. I already, already, we already knew it was coming just because the, the rumors had already started uh, popping up. But this was at least a year suspension that he deserved. And I, I mean, I've seen some people pointing to the fact that he sat out all of last year. That was not a suspension. That 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 wasn't a suspension. He was getting fully paid to do it. The Texans were absolutely awful. He essentially just got a free year off while getting paid. That was not, you know, one of those things where like an NCAA team sits out the postseason or like sits out March Madness as a postseason ban, um, like a de facto ban. Like that. This is not what that was. And he should have gotten way more, in my personal opinion. Yeah, the reason he sat out is because he had demanded a trade from the Texans before. Like, it would be like a, a player who was holding out uh, found a way to get a year of their contract done. Because if you don't play by week 12 or something, then your contract doesn't toll and, like, you owe the team money back. So, basically, he got rewarded for getting in trouble because he didn't have to play for a team he didn't want to play for anymore. and you know, th there's a lot of issues with this. Um, Mina Kimes, I think, had a really good, like, take on this where she read over what the judge said and what the judge, how the judge's summation of the, of the case and what happened and what she found and what, what was proven by the NFL, all those things pointed to the fact that Deshaun Watson was guilty, like had been, you know, had sexually assaulted these people, you know, had said, you know, I, sorry, I don't know the definition. I mean, I know the definition, but I'm not sure if it's classified as assault or harassment. So, uh, it, you know, I, at the very least sexually harassed these people. And he I mean, technically, uh, they, they said Robinson, the person who was like handling this. Yeah. Said that they found Watson guilty of violating the least personal conduct policy in three ways. One of them was by engaging in sexual assault. Like they legitimately go. said it yeah. was sexual assault. Yeah. And, and then how, they how did it's get up six to, games for that. I just, I've seen people point to the fact that the only other time that the league has suspended somebody for sexual assault or sexual harassment was the Ben Roethlisberger, uh, thing. And he got six games and that, that, that she basically said, yeah, he's guilty, but there's no framework for me to, uh, th this is a generous interpretation of what she said is there's no framework for me to punish him more. Uh, so 
you know, I'm recommending the full suspension of what y'all gave Ben Roethlisberger 10 years ago, but, you know, only because there's not a system for me to give him more. Um, I, my understanding of the appeals process is the NFL could just ba- – now, this could be wrong, but I, by everything I've heard, it seems like the NFL could just say, um, no, thank you. Like, we're going to appeal, and in this scenario, we appeal to ourselves, and Roger Goodell gets to make the decision. Like, that, like y- you appeal beyond that, and it's, for some reason, it just goes directly into uh, Goodell's hand, and he can decide what to do. Now – after that, I think the NFLPA or whoever can have a an, a different lawsuit that, uh, you know, Browns fans say the league doesn't want that because then all their skeletons in the closet will get revealed and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't I don't know enough about what could come out in a countersuit or whatever, but my understanding is that the judge did as little as she possibly could. Because she didn't, she wanted to put this back on the NFL because um, she's bad at her job is probably the best way to interpret it, and she can't interpret beyond the only past you know punishment they have. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter the excuse. Like, should he be out of the league completely forever? I don't know. I mean, they they like he's not been convicted of anything in court. So for, for, you know, in an actual like legal proceeding, so I don't, I don't know, like, I can't, I can't say whether like he should do that or not because, you know, innocent until proven guilty or whatever. Having said that, it seems like there's enough evidence to convict him of some things. And it seems like there's a pretty clear money trail from the Texans and whoever to kind of like cover this up that, I mean, Maybe he wouldn't get fully prosecuted for all of those, but he's done enough bad things and he's put himself in enough sus, uh, you know, suspect situations that he is clearly, you know, a bad guy. And, and you know, he should, you know, every snap he takes in the league is just going to be another reason for people to hate the NFL. And, you know, I get it. Like he, you know, he should, he should not play this year at the very least. And he should be suspended indefinitely until he figures out all his lawsuits and all of that so that he can say, okay, in the eyes of the law, nobody, nobody is saying I'm doing anything anymore. And then you can begrudgingly decide to let him back in or whatever. But uh, I mean, I, I don't know how you look at him play and you think anything other than, uh, you know, of everything he's accused of doing and and has unabashedly said, yeah, I didn't do that. They're all liars in his press conference, no matter how much people try to say, oh, well, you know, he showed remorse. It's like, no, he didn't. Like he he said, they're liars. I didn't do that. That That's his quote unquote remorse. But that that's probably all we need to talk about this, because I don't think there are a lot of Deshaun Watson defenders out there. So I think we're just kind of preaching to the choir on how he should be punished as much as possible. And hopefully by the time you're listening to this, Roger Goodell has decided to appeal or whatever. And then he he's made a stronger ruling. Yeah. We really don't have to talk too much more about it. All I'll say is uh, I'm going to be cheering so hard against the Browns and Deshaun Watson when he's on the field that (laughs) that's the only thing I'll say about that. Also it, is there like someone that right now you, you hate more than 
than Deshaun Watson. Like, I just want to see him do poorly. I mean, maybe that's Jim a Mercedes. bad taste. Yeah, Jim Mercedes Mercedes pretty, pretty hard. Bad. Um, but, but like, I mean, obviously not on the same level, but it's so rare that one team can knock your favorite team out of the playoffs, you know, and they, and they're now the good guys. Like, it's like, you know, we always will hate the Steelers and the Ravens just because that's the, you know, the team, the franchise history, but the Bengals, I, I didn't particularly have a problem with, even though we haven't had great success against them, but you know, they knock you out of the playoffs and you're like, well, I kind of hate them a little bit now. And now all of a sudden I want all three of those teams to beat everything out of the Browns every time they play them. So, you know, that that's a quick, you know, face turn by all of those guys every weekend that they get to play the Browns, but ugh, it's, it's aggravating. Yeah. At the very least should make for some intriguing storylines uh, towards the end of the season. So we're going to take a quick ad break here and we're going to come back and talk about the first week of Titans training camp. Welcome back into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. So as I mentioned quickly at the beginning of this episode, uh, the Titans have gotten a lot of positive reports out of training camp. I, I think this is probably one of the more positive starts that, that we've gotten. Uh, really not a whole lot of players that you know are, are injured or, or, or limited. Uh, and, and a lot of players seem to be doing very well. Um, some of them we talked about a little bit about last week because it seems like the rookies have gotten on to gotten off to a really quick start, which doesn't usually happen under Mike Vrabel, and it, it definitely hasn't happened uh, with the past couple of draft classes. But everything has been really positive, um, and thankfully Traylon Burks last week just got off to a torrid start, uh, kind of showing off the insane talent that he has. Uh, he had a really good um, media session, media scrum session. Um, I think it was after his first practice, maybe a second one. Can't really remember. Uh, but he took full accountability for, you know, being coming in out of shape um, and not really getting himself prepared in the way he needed to um, for rookie for rookie OTAs. Um, and, yeah, I, I just love that accountability. And then he started showing it on the field. He was making fantastic uh, athletic catches. He was looking quick. He was looking much more in shape and looking like the Traylon Burks that we saw at Arkansas, you know, the, the, that college dominator that we are expecting to come in and, and play right away because the Titans need him. They need a receiver of his caliber. Um, and they need that contribution from their first round pick, which they haven't gotten the past couple of seasons. So yeah, I mean, that, that was, that was super Super good to see, um, and I know, Will, you were probably thrilled with it because, you know, you've kind of been banging the drum for him all offseason, se- all off and we did it last week. We were like, just calm down. Let- let's wait until he actually gets on the field. Um, and it-, it looks like at least the conditioning aspect has somewhat been resolved uh, pretty early on. Yeah, like conditioning very clearly is not an issue. Like, Maybe it was earlier in that, you know, maybe it was a mix of asthma and conditioning or whatever, but it, not only is he, you know, consistently showing up in one-on-ones and individual stuff, he's, you know, as far as I can tell, he works with the first team and the second team. Like today, for example, they uh, they had the first team during team drills at the end of practice got done early and there was like 20 or so minutes to where it was the 
second and third teams like going against each other and Burks was in all of those uh, or I mean all of those for the second team and that was after he'd already made plays with the first team in Tannehill and so you know uh, not only is he not out of shape he's seemingly setting the tone and playing as many snaps or more snaps than any other receiver in camp so you know that that's one way to get respect quickly you know if everybody doesn't think you took it seriously and you come in and you're in you know in a month you've gotten yourself self in such good shape that you're basically outpacing veterans and other rookies like that that's a pretty big deal oh and he's also returning punts uh, so that's that's another thing that uh, he's got on his plate so it's it's great you know it's great to see like i i liked him i think i I tweeted about him like over a year ago about how i liked him and how he fit the profile of what the titans like and you know then he went out and dominated in the sec i think he had half of arkansas's receiving touchdowns even though he didn't play in a bowl game and like 33 percent of their receptions or receiving yards and then 40% of one of like he just was a huge part of their offense and you know he did that as the clear focal point and you know he played through getting banged up and you know going to Alabama and Texas A&M like he he was everything you want to see out of a you know a wide receiver one prospect so uh, you know I'm, I'm glad to see him do that the cool thing is it's like every day it's something new like the first practice they had that deep shot where, you know, he went basically just a straight fade route and he went and split the safety and the uh, corner. I think it was Fulton and Molden is who he split or uh, Fulton and a uh, hooker is who he split. And then, you know, that obviously is a pretty impressive combo to beat. And then the next week it was, or the next day it was, beating Roger McCreary in one-on-ones and just being super physical. Like, even though McCreary started like the physicality first, like that was cool. And then after that, it was, you know, a, an intermediate pass that he took for a long way. And then it was, Oh, he would have had another touchdown in that practice. If Jeffrey Simmons and SWAT went down, then it's this and that. And then we've gotten to the point now where even when they're playing seven on seven or they're doing red zone drills, he's like lining up at running back in the backfield and they're throwing him wheel routes or Texas routes over Cunningham. So that, you know, and like Zach Cunningham, like not like, you know, chance Campbell or like a, a rookie or whatever, like Zach Cunningham, who we all saw was pretty good. And, you know, it's not like he got mixed up on who he's supposed to cover. Like, that he's just out there making back-to-back touchdowns, lining up wherever. So he's kind of everything you want him to be, and so much so that they've put him with the first-team offense a fair bit now. And uh, you can just see when Jim White does the breakdowns or whoever, it's always a run play that kind of works, a pass to somebody else, and then a big pass to Burks. It's like consistently, like the third or fourth thing you read, it's hard to go through one of those training camp reports without his name popping up once every third or fourth time for making a big catch against either a high pick or a guy who has been to the pro bowl or should be in the pro bowl. So, I mean, it's incredibly impressive. Yeah. I I mean, we really shouldn't be too surprised. I mean, he showed this in college. He he's, he's a stud. Like I, I, I think we could say that like just 
physically and with his talent whenever he's on the field. He looks like he's going to be a stud, and honestly, at this point, I'm expecting a similar rookie season to A.J. Brown, where he's probably not going to get you know, fed targets all that much, but when he does get the ball, he's going to make plays with it, um, and he's going to be very efficient. I don't know if he's going to you know, get 20 yards per reception like A.J. Brown did um, that rookie year, but I could definitely see you know, 15 to 16 yards per reception, uh, break a lot of a lot of big plays, especially on those, you know, routes over the middle that this offense, passing offense is pretty much based on, you know, play action and then throw it to your athletic big receiver over the middle, let him, you know, run after the catch, make plays, break tackles. Um, and that's exactly what Burks can do. Uh, but he's also shown, at least early on in camp, that he can do other things. He could get vertical. Um, he could catch jump balls. So, yeah, super exciting. Um, it seems like they're all the all the receivers really have been doing pretty well. I, I think that's that's a case of it being camp. You know, you get a lot of one on one situations um, and, and it's easy to make the receivers look good. I mean, Racy McMath is getting is getting a lot of praise uh, today after Tuesday's practice. I don't know how much um, stock to take into that. But I saw a couple of clips with Des, Des Fitzpatrick also. He looks like he's cleaned up uh, some things. And he even had an interview after one of the practices. Um, and they kind of asked him about Robert Woods. And, and he was just glowing praise uh, about his leadership, how he's helping him out, helping out all the receivers. Ryan Tannehill had uh, a lot of similar comments. Um, and then you see reports, you know, or tweets that he's staying after practice. Um, he's always the last one to leave the field, always working. Um, he's already ditched the brace, so he's ready to go. He's healthy. Um, and he just seems like, you know, the whole package, like everything that the Titans uh, needed, probably in Julio Jones, because I I'm not going to say that Julio Jones wasn't a leader, but I feel like I didn't really see too many reports uh, of him taking players under his wing. Um, and maybe that was, you know, a... a, 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 a a reason being that that happened was probably because he was, you know, probably always in the train trainer's room. He was always injured um, and really just couldn't do anything um, for the team and, and the players around him. So that that was frustrating, I'm sure, for him uh, just as much as the Titans and the fans. But it seems like Robert Woods is going to come in and he already has uh, and, and be a real focal point for the offense and, and be a real uh, mentor for some of these younger guys at receiver. Yeah, receiver looks a lot stronger than I thought it was going to. You know, you talked about how it's training camp and, you know, it's easy for the receivers to look good. I don't know. Like, I, we've had a lot of training camps where receivers have not looked good. I mean, like, it, it's there's there's very rarely a time where it feels like the offense strings together win after win, even when the defense isn't great. Like, now you've got the defense, which – you know, is great. Like, I mean, like th this defense will be a top 10 unit and probably will be a top five unit uh, when it's all said and done. But, you know, they, they lost quote unquote on Monday. And then on Tuesday they came out and, you know, the offense immediately rebounded and they're doing it without Derrick Henry. And they're doing it without a lot of deception being available because when Derrick Henry's not in and you're going against Haskins and, you know, not that, you know, nothing against Haskins, but he's not Derrick Henry. And you've got Munyer at center half the time. Like, you're 
probably fine. Like, it's like you probably don't have to respect the run a good bit. You know, you can cheat a little bit. So, you know, it's not like it's not like the defense is resting a bunch of guys or anything like that. Like the offense is just doing well. Like you talked about Woods's leadership. That's a big buzzword this year. Like there's. You know, we've seen people talk about Tannehill's leadership. Nick Westbrook-Ahina does a really good job speaking up for Tannehill because he's he's the guy who, the, really the only guy on the roster who's been in those meetings and who can say, you know, Tannehill is st- the same leader that he always is, but maybe turned up a notch this year because it's been such an emphasis, but he's always led like this. And now that he's under the microscope, people notice that, you know, Tannehill's pulling guys aside and when they've got a break, they're not just like kicking back and, you know, joking around or anything like that. Like he's pulling Hooper and woods over and then they've got young guys with them sometimes, or they've got other, you know, potential starters and they're over on the sideline doing things like constantly working. So, you know, all that's, that's all great. Like I'm not, I'm not going to speak necessarily to Julio because I think part of Julio's problem was, he didn't have a chance to grow and develop a relationship with any of these guys because he wasn't on the field in training camp. And then he didn't practice a lot during the season. And when he did practice, it was always somebody different beside him because AJ Brown couldn't stay on there. And Reynolds was off the team by halfway through the year. Like, you know, who was he supposed to attach to in terms of other wide receivers? Cause they were never in the same place. So yeah, like, this team, this offense especially, seems more cohesive. It seems like the fact that Traylon Burks is doing so well and Woods is doing so well and Hooper is doing so well that def- the defense can't just say, okay, you know, we're simulating third and seven. They're going to pass it to AJ because Ferkser's not going to beat us. And, and, you know, Swain's not, you know, they can't just say, okay, all we have to do is really try to focus on this, where the ball is going here like being able to distribute the ball to these different pass catchers is really helping the offense. And it's already clear, even though, you know, we haven't seen clips of, you know, team drills, like it's so evident in how everybody's developing and how everybody's talking about the offense, whether you're talking to Jeffrey Simmons or hearing Vrabel talk or listening to Tannehill, like it just feels different right now. Yeah. And I think honestly, sometimes it's, it's just as easy as, having your first two receivers being healthy um, because they are most talented guys, obviously, and they could win in several different ways. I mean, think about two years ago when A.J. Brown and Corey Davis were on the field together. They were both healthy. They were crushing. They were crushing every single defense because defenses just couldn't stop Corey Davis or they couldn't stop A.J. Brown. They had to either pick their poison Um, And then you just went to the other guy and he beat his guy pretty much every time. And we weren't able to have that last year because Julio was constantly injured. Um, And so was A.J. Brown, too. Um, So the fact that Woods and Burtz have come in so strong at the start of training camp, they both are healthy. uh, They both are in shape and they're looking just as advertised. I think that's already a huge step in the right direction after the offense was was really poor at, at times last year, uh, the passing offense at least. Um, I think that's a really good step in the right direction heading into this season. And uh, d- sticking with some of the pass catchers, uh, we want to talk a little bit about Kyle Phillips and Chigokonkwo. We did talk about them 
uh, last week and, and kind of gave our expectations. Uh, but they've come right in, and, and they're already getting reps with the starters, with the first-team offense. Um, do you think they're going to play, uh, you know, a little bit earlier than maybe we were expecting? Or, or is this kind of um, what you expected, given that they're kind of not – they're polished. They were polished prospects coming out, and they kind of had – specific roles that I think the coaching staff maybe envisioned for them. It's it's weird, right? Because historically John Robinson's been really good at finding players on day three and even day two really, but like day three he's really thrived finding stuff where people can't. But he's always like you go back and look, he's always kind of tried to find people who can do a little bit of everything, right? It's like Crookshank was you know, a defensive back who could do a little bit of everything. Hooker, same way. He played corner, but he was going to be safety. And, you know, uh, Tajay Sharp earlier in his career. Like, th- there's guys like that littered throughout that process. You know, David Long was a guy that was like special teams, and he's, you know, athletic enough. Jayon Brown, the same way. All those guys who, you know, no nobody in the NFL finds those guys better than John Robinson. But it was different this year because they, like, Kyle Phillips is not going to play X. Like he's not going to play Z. Like he's a slot receiver. And maybe in some packages you can have him lined up outside just for mismatch reasons, but he is one of those like under like undersized quote unquote like slot wide receivers and the Titans haven't really had that other than Humphreys who you know was fine but was nothing, you know, exceptional, but it looks different when he's out there. Like you see him run against defensive backs and just they've got no chance. And even when they pass interfere him, he's catching the ball. And so all the things that he did in college are translating and that's interesting, but rarely have we seen people go from, okay, that's really good winning one-on-ones to you're doing so good that Mike Vrabel is going to allow you as a rookie who hadn't proven himself on special teams to go into actual starting drill, like starting team drills. And today on Tuesday, when we're recording Kyle Phillips got reps with the first team for the first time, all training camp. And for reference, AJ Brown didn't get reps with the ones the, you know, he did maybe towards the very end, but he had a hamstring injury that messed messed up his progress. And he also one of the big reasons why he had such a good rookie year is because he had so much experience with Tannehill from when they were both second stringers. Like, I I, I believe that he didn't practice against. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was the Patriots that year when they played him in uh, training camp. Like he didn't practice against them. And it was Corey Davis who was making all the plays and it was Corey Davis who was getting all the shine. And then the first game of the season, A.J. Brown gets 100 yards on four catches and then, you know, a new era begins. But, you know, it it wasn't like he was given a bunch of opportunities. He just happened to make the most of his opportunities. Right now, it looks like not only Kyle Phillips, who got first team reps, but Chick Conquo are going to get serious snaps with the starters like Aconquo has been somebody that the coaches have loved forever, but you figured when the pads come on and he's, you know, fastest height in the draft, he's not, not a mountain of a man, but he's not, you know, he's not little, but like, he's not Austin Hooper. Like Austin Hooper walks around and looks, look, looks like a tank's walking around. Like, and nothing against Aconquo. He's just not necessarily built like that. 
So you figure maybe he sits behind Swain for a while and maybe he's like an optional tight end. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure that he doesn't out out snap Swain to start the season. Like he apparently is, you know, beloved by everybody like Tannehill like literally Tannehill was talking about him the other day in a press conference and he just started smiling and was talking about you know he's so impressive he's this and he's that and then they talked to uh uh Todd Downing and he said the same thing where he was praising him up and down and Vrabel's praised him and you know uh Tim Kelly's been working with uh, the tight ends more than any other position group. In fact, I think he's like 90% with the tight ends. And if you're talk, if you're a tight end and you're working basically right underneath the guy who's coordinating the pass game and you're thriving every time they throw you a pass, I would imagine that's going to spark some ideas for him to make you a, a real weapon as a rookie. So for the first time uh, really ever, it looks like there are going to be multiple rookies that are going to start or play significant snaps. And I mean, it's, it's crazy because you could, you could sell me on the idea of, you know, Conquo being a starter if they go two tight ends. Um, I don't think Phillips is there yet, but I think he might be a situational guy because I think they're, but that's because another rookie is going to start ahead of him when they start Burks and they start him opposite Woods, and they start uh, Nick Westbrook-Kahina out there too. So I, all of these rookies look good, and you know, you talk about them in OTAs and minicamp, and it's like, yeah, okay. You talk about them early in training camp, it's like, yeah, okay. That's still kind of just conditioning. But as they're installing more and more of the offense, and as they're doing more and more physical stuff in pads, they're pulling away from everybody else. They're not getting sucked back towards the pack. Like they, they stand out more and more and more. So I, I don't remember a time where we've seen that with Mike Vrabel as the head coach, even in 2019 when they had such a fantastic class or even uh, in Jack Conklin and Derrick Henry's rookie season, where they had plenty of guys who were, you know, future all pros or future, you know, Kevin Byard was in that class, but those guys weren't pulling away from the pack like these are. So uh, it's it's very encouraging, uh, I guess is is the most modest way to say it. Yeah, and we we haven't even gotten to Roger McCreary, who was a talking point also, just because he's got so much praise as well. But just to kind of put a button on the Phillips and Conquo thing, I think at a certain point, I Mike Rabel could you know hate playing rookies all he wants. At a certain point, you have to play the best guys and the guys who are going to give you the best chance to win and Aconqua was just too athletic and you could do too much with him and Kyle Phillips looks like an incredible route runner already um in camp and at a certain point you just got to play these guys and especially considering the fact that Todd Downing came under so much fire last year I, I don't think Vrabel could take the chance of not putting his best players out there so Hopefully, maybe this is a turning point in Mike Rabel's philosophy in terms of giving too much playing time to rookies, but I hope it is. And, you know, another rookie who I don't know how much I, I, I feel like McCreary might. I don't know if he's going to start from the, from the get go just because Molden um, played really well last year. He, he was one of our one of our better defensive backs, um, and I think he's earned the right to, to be the starting slot corner. But. Man, the reports from from McCreary have been 
have been glowing, really. I mean, the other day, I think he had a bunch of pass deflections in camp. He's been going toe-to-toe. Sick. I mean, absolutely ridiculous. But, I mean, when you think about it, it's really not ridiculous because this is what he does. Like, this is what he did at Auburn. This is what he did when he played against Alabama, uh, when he played against some of the best college teams in the nation. He just stuck with his guys. He was a sticky coverage corner, and he just gets past deflections. Like, he doesn't let anybody catch the ball on him. And it it has translated already. Shane Bowen has already said that he doesn't play like a rookie. He's very poised. Um, It's nothing new. Like, I I think we all kind of saw that. We were maybe a little bit skeptical um, about his overall ceiling just because he's, he's not the most, you know, athletic, rangy type of cornerback. But... I mean, he could play from day one, and I don't think he's going to be overwhelmed by the moment at all. He's a he's the kind of guy who I could see the Titans just changing their entire base defense. Like they they at this point they played so much dime last year. Like they were they played more dime than anybody else in the NFL. I mean, they could just say dime is our new base package. Like McCreary's too good, Molden's too good. You know, we've got Farley on one side, Fulton on the other. Hooker and Byard, like we've got enough, you know, hitting power in David Long and Cunningham to feel comfortable with that, you know, with these other guys, the, the defensive backs and their ability to like play the run. But I mean, if you want to run, uh, cool. Good luck going through Autry and uh, Simmons and Tart and Naquan Jones and Walker, who they apparently love now, and Harold Landry and Bud Dupree. And, and you know, just these like this really big and versatile front it's like okay like if you want to try to run on us our base is going to be Danico Autry uh Tier Tart Jeffrey Simmons and Harold Landry and then when when we think you're going light we're going to bring Bud Dupree in and if you decide to pass that's great because you know, Simmons had 11 sacks last year when you include the playoffs and Landry had something like 13 and a half or 14 when you include the playoffs like I mean they can do anything you want them to do. And now you've got these guys in the back who are so physical, but also so technically sound. It's like, I, I mean, I, I could see them doing a lot of dime and I could see them being excited to do it. Like they love Chris Jackson too. I mean like that, you know, he stepped up in that Rams game where he had to come in and play. And then uh, he, I, I don't know, like they, I think they love this group that they have and, Molden being hurt with the rolled ankle or whatever it is like we haven't gotten you know obviously you're not getting anything out of Rabel in terms of injuries but uh, we've got no indication that it's something serious but we've also got no indication that he's coming back tomorrow either so I mean he played more than almost any other rookie last year um, maybe more than any rookie last year now that I'm thinking about it but uh, like I, I don't expect them to need him to be on like on the field all the time but with how well McCreary's playing like I I don't know I mean it's hard to see McCreary doing everything that he's doing now and not starting but it's also hard for me to find a corner take it to take out of the lineup so I mean if if it's not molding I I don't know what they do other than run a lot of dime but it's a good problem to have like it's good to be too talented at one of the most expensive and important positions on the field uh, all I could do right now is imagine a dime defense with Danico Autry, Simmons, Bud Dupree, Harold Landry on the line. 
Um, and you could even play with one linebacker, just put David Long there. How is any passing offense going to do anything against that? Or if you want to put Cunningham in there, play with two linebackers, you just have Simmons, Autry, and Landry getting after it. They could do it by themselves. They don't need a lot of help to get to the quarterback. I mean, you could do a lot of things with, with the with the defensive talent that, that's on the team. It's it's exciting. Like I, I, I don't see I don't see many scenarios where the Titans defense regresses. I, I really don't at all. They they seem like, you know, I, I touched on Walker a second ago, like Jeffrey Simmons came out and was like, uh, we, we, you know, we love, we, you know, we love him. He's great. He's going to be like a huge impact player for us. Like I, I'm pulling up the depth chart now just to see all their, like where they are on their two deep, like they're, they're backups. So not even their starters are, uh, Demarcus Walker, Naquan Jones, um, either Danico Autry or Bud Dupree, depending on who you want to line up there. And, uh, then just d- defensive tackle whoever you want, like whether they're like one of the young guys or whether they want Kevin Strong to play there or whatever. Like, I mean, that's a pretty like maybe they play Demarcus Walker at defensive tackle and let Ola Daney play. So you have Ola Daney, Bud Dupree, Naquan Jones, and uh, Demarcus Walker. Like, that's we've seen a lot of Titans defenses where that would be better than the line that they had to field. Like uh, that's it le- legitimately like with how much they rotate their defensive linemen and their wide receivers, you have to have some depth at those positions because the Titans just don't believe in having those guys play a ton of snaps. But I mean, Oh, I didn't even talk about Weaver. Like Rashad Weaver would be on that. I, was, too. I was about to bring him up. I was like, he could play on yeah. the line if he wants, or he could play standing up. There's so many options uh, for Shane Bowen. It's it's crazy, honestly. Yeah, it's it, you know to have uh, so many good backups, and you know we'll see how the 53 shakes out. But it's like it, I, I think the offense is going to get shortchanged a little bit because I think they're going to have to have guys like um, like Corey Levin. I think makes the team because he can play center and guard, and they'll be comfortable with that. I think guy. I think you'll have to have a lot of swing guys. Like I think Tory Carter is going to be really important because I think they're going to try to figure out if they can use him some at tight end. Like I, I don't like maybe not as a true tight end, but as a wing or something. But they've got to find ways to open up spaces for some of these guys. And like they, they've just got so much talent. I mean, even then, like I think, I think Fitzpatrick probably doesn't make the roster because I don't think he can play special teams. And I don't think he necessarily has the top end upside, but I mean, he could go back to the practice squad knowing that he's the first guy off the bench, you know, quote unquote on the practice squad. And he could be comfortable with that. But it's like a week ago, it seemed like Fitzpatrick was, you know, not a lock, but like one of the guys who had pole position. And now it's just like the defense is so good and the wide receivers are so competitive that all of a sudden it looks crazy to think about adding somebody like Will Fuller or, I mean, anybody else at wide receiver or any position other than maybe offensive line, because it's just like everybody has shown everybody's shown out at different times. And, you know, th- there's a gold standard on this team and it's Jeffrey Simmons. So and, and I guess Kevin Byard, too. But the fact that those guys are 
not necessarily getting beaten, but the fact that they're not just overwhelmingly like dominating everybody they're going against means that you can kind of judge the rest of the group and say, okay, you know, Aaron Brewer's not a complete liability against Jeffrey Simmons, or else we would see a bunch of tweets about that. You know, Raiden's it, it has yet to be talked about as somebody not being able to hold the edge, which is good. Like, because that, that would be something that they would love to talk about. Like, all these things, the lack of information on some of the, you know, the lack of, well, nobody can stop that guy is important because we know that there are some empirically dominant people in this team. So all that to say, you know, don't don't talk yourself out of getting excited about what you're seeing in training camp because a lot of these things will translate. Like, at the very least, it's people on the field instead of talking about, well, you know, when Julio comes back, he'll, it probably won't take him long to adapt and he'll probably be good. It's like, OK, probably. But these guys are doing well now against guys that are pro bowl slash all pro players. So it's it's all, I mean, very impressive. And it, it's genuinely exciting for the first time in, I don't know, like three or so. I mean, I don't know when the last time I was excited to watch preseason like this because Maybe last year it was like, you know, Weaver's interesting. Then there were some other competitive guys. But it's like, I'm going to have to rewatch the game, the preseason games multiple times just to see every position that I want to see. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this first week of training camp has already gotten me pretty, pretty excited, to be honest, especially uh, on some of these rookies. Um, we're kind of running out of time, so we're not going to touch on too many other uh, players, there really hasn't been too too many negative reports, really, and even the Tannehill apparently has been fantastic. I, I I think I think he hasn't thrown an interception yet in camp, if that's what I read correctly. Yeah. Um, everyone's kind of praising him, how he's going about everything, how he's kind of gotten over um, the playoff loss a little bit, put it in the rearview mirror, and and it's kind of just back to you know being that assassin that we know he could be. So. That's good news. I, I think the only real negative thing that that has come out as of late was Jamarco Jones getting in a scuffle with Taylor Lewan. I don't think it means anything. He said it's just the boys going at it. Um, and we know Luan likes to get under people's skin, especially, you know, a new tight end that um, that's probably going to play right next to him. So, yeah, nothing I mean, to worry about there. It, it's also like. Uh, Vrabel's one of Vrabel's chosen people like it's an Ohio State guy Malvin you know I'm guessing he was Malvin back with a Michigan guy in Lawan because I mean Jamarco Jones went to Ohio State and was recruited by Vrabel and all that kind of stuff so uh, it, it could be that he felt like he wasn't getting the opportunities or it could be that he said something he and Lawan have been chirping at each other for a while and now that Jamarco Jones isn't like getting reps with the ones, you know, reportedly that, you know, maybe he's a little bit, maybe he's not having as much fun chirping back and forth with Lawan as he was when it was OTAs and Brewer was in a yellow jersey and wasn't allowed to really practice and all that. Like it, it might be a little bit less fun and a little bit more sensitive and it might have gotten out of hand. But uh, yeah, I, if, if training camp fights and, you know, where where does Laurel Murchison fall on the roster? Like if those are your big storylines, that's awesome. Like like that's that's I'll take that every day of the week. Yeah, agreed. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break and then we're kind of 
going to come back and wrap up with Stop the Nonsense. All right, welcome back in. We're going to go ahead and do Stop the Nonsense. Will, do you care to go first? Yeah, so there's – you can pick any number of people talking about it, but people keep talking about how Malik Willis is going to end up as the quarterback two and how Logan Woodside's going to get cut and this, that, and the other. My stop the nonsense is this whole idea that they're even having a competition. Like everybody needs to understand that this narrative that people keep trying to argue that, you know, can Willis beat out Woodside? It doesn't matter. Like there is no competition there. Willis is basically getting a red shirt year. And by all accounts, he should be getting a red shirt year. Like he's got the tools to be exciting, but I, I I think I said it last week. I don't I, I mean, I think it's a 50 50 shot that he's the starter next year. Like, I think he's got a lot of hurdles that he has to clear to get there. And if Tannehill's playing well, they'll stick with Tannehill until Tannehill retires. Like, I mean, Mike Vrabel and John Robinson are not going to get rid of a quarterback who's won them that many games, especially when you have to think about, you know, Derrick Henry uh, eventually needing to be like, you know, replaced or moved on from not this year and probably not next year, but like eventually you have to think about that and you want stability as many places as you can get. They're going to carry three quarterbacks. Like if you're putting out a 53 man roster and you don't have them with three quarterbacks, you're probably wrong. You know, it's going to be those three guys because they love what Woodside does in the quarterback room. They love how much he studies. You know, maybe they cut him with a wink, wink understanding of we're going to put you on the practice squad and we're going to protect, you know, keep you protected. And then if somebody comes sniffing around in the middle of the season and we don't have a spot for you because there's an injury somewhere else, then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll figure something out. But expect those three to be the quarterbacks on the roster in some shape or form, like uh, stop worrying about where Willis, what Willis is doing. Be excited when he comes in in the third quarter or the second quarter of preseason games and just enjoy the flashes you get then and, you know, live to argue this case another day because it's just it, that battle is not going on. Completely agree. Like, if you're getting excited about seeing Malik Willis in the regular season this season, just uh, give it up. It's probably not going to happen unless, you know, there's an unfortunate injury um, that we're not going to talk about and we're not going to hope for. Um, But, yeah, it's just not happening. I mean, there was even a clip the other day where Woodside and Malik Willis were, were doing, like, a very simple, like, rollout pass. And I mean, Woodside just, he looked better because Malik Willis is still learning, you know, like he has a lot to go in his development process. By all accounts, it's it's going well, um, but this is, it's going to take time. He's, he's not going to be ready uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, I'm going to go ahead, wrap up with my stop the nonsense. Uh, Kyler Murray, uh, the situation has been. It's been something. It's definitely been something. I I, I don't even know uh, how to go about explaining this. But anyway, Kyler Murray signs his huge contract extension um, immediately after he signs it. I think maybe the day after um, or even the day of it comes out that. Well, it comes out. Ian Rappaport said that he did some digging and found it. I think Kyler Murray's agent just leaked it to make the Cardinals yep. look bad yep. and, and get and get rid of it uh, was it was an quote unquote independent study clause 
um, that said that Kyler Murray had to commit four hours per week. Will corrected me on this. I thought it was four hours per day. That I thought was a little ridiculous. You know, I like I, I think that's too much. I I don't think you need to be devoting that much time. But I mean, four hours per week really wasn't too much. Regardless, the clause was was a little was funny. I I found it kind of hilarious that you need to put that in the contract for your franchise quarterback and you don't trust him enough um, to do that on his own. Why, if you have to do that, why are you even giving him, you know, $47 million per year? I, I think that's kind of an indictment on on Kyler and, and maybe his work ethic. Um, and that's how it came across um, after it got leaked and everyone picked it up and everyone started making fun of the Cardinals. Um, they got rid of it. They, they scratched it from the contract. I don't even know how that's possible when he already signed it. Like he, he saw that already. He signed the contract. Um, and then just because they were facing backlash, the Cardinals get rid of it. I I don't I, I don't know what to say about this other than the Cardinals have extremely bad energy going on right now. Like Cliff Kingsbury, I think he got an extension for some reason. I don't think he's a very smart coach. They they really haven't done much with him. Um, him and Kyler together have really fallen off towards the end uh, of the past few seasons. Uh, their GM has kind of made some weird decisions. They've got bad vibes written all over them. I don't know how it's going to go for them, but it doesn't seem good. Yeah, it, the whole the whole thing is very weird, and it, it kind of got lost in this whole, uh, like, all the other stuff that's been going on, and it kind of got, like, weekend news dumped and barely got talked about. I mean, it felt like it got talked about a ton, but... At this point, it's already we've already kind of gotten over it because of all the other stuff. But yeah, it truly an insane reaction to a reasonable like request. Yeah, I mean four hours per day. I, I legitimately yeah, thought it was four we, hours per day. Yeah, it, I mean it's like if you do forty five minutes a day, you're basically done by like Friday. Like it's like you can do forty five minutes a day and take a day off and still do. And you he, he didn't he, like he doesn't have to do it during the bye week. He doesn't have to do it in the off season. So basically, seventeen weeks a year, he has to do like he has to pull a four hour work week in terms of like doing homework. Like I don't know, like just do like just do three hours kind of haphazardly on a Monday, and then like fifteen minutes every now. Like it just seems so easy to do for like eighteen weeks, but apparently not not that easy. Yeah, all I mean, all it would have taken was him putting on some some film in the background while he does whatever he wants to do but that was too much i did find the memes hilarious um the ones of uh saying that when call of duty comes out in october november kyler's gonna <laughs> we're just not gonna see kyler so yeah. that was funny that that was hilarious so thank you for that arizona cardinals for giving us some um some entertainment uh during the week uh, that's going to do it for us. Uh, thanks for listening in. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll be back probably next week to recap some more training camp stuff. Uh, maybe recap the Hall of Fame game, which is going to be so exciting uh, for Will at least. Woo! And uh, and then we're going to do a preview of the first uh, Titans preseason game. We don't know who's going to play really, but uh, we're going to go ahead and do that next week. Uh, as always, stop the nonsense. Thank you.
save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app get 16 ounce packs of flavorful angus 90 lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious coca-cola pepsi or 7-up all with your card Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.